Flying Coach is back for a second season, Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world. They're discussing the latest NFL news, telling stories from their careers, and breaking down games from their unique perspectives. Check out Flying Coach Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. baby welcome in tuesday and a wednesday edition of new york new york with yours truly jj john jay and i have one simple question to start the show who is that team we saw tonight and what the hell happened to the new york yankees who is that team tonight and what the hell happened to the new york yankees i forgot what that felt like for goodness sakes and it's one measly win and i'm actually thankful quite frankly that we didn't have a podcast to do on Monday because I felt like I exhausted so many different feelings out of me when it comes to angst and frustration and anger regarding the New York Yankees that Aaron Boone's quotes about the season is on the line and then you get the Monday game. Cashman's quotes saying this is not an Aaron Boone problem. I mean, they basically were going to drive me up a wall and they were going to drive me to drink. So... I'm glad we didn't have a podcast on Monday because there's always so much yelling, screaming, and venting that I can do. Even me, who can vent and yell and scream until the cows come home. It even got to a breaking point for yours truly. So tonight, I'm sitting back. I had minimal expectations. Jameson Tyon did not pitch particularly well. But the Yankee Bats, to their credit, were terrific. I, I don't remember a game in quite a while where the Yankees were able to bang out 11 runs. Sanchez going Yahtzee. Judge going Yahtzee. What a concept. Glaber Torres has been MIA. Finally gets a couple of hits. And Duhar, who, by the way, should never in a million years sit in favor of Clint Frazier. He goes three for four. The Yankees pound the Angels. Even with all those positive vibes working in the Yankee favor, you know what I kept thinking, though, watching this game? Man, I wish Shohei Otani was a Yankee. And I know Shohei Otani was the number one target for the New York Yankees. It was the worst kept secret on the planet. Brian Cashman wanted him. Yankee ownership wanted him. They scouted him for three or four years. He didn't want New York City. He wanted to stay on the West Coast. He wanted to be close to Japan. It's a bummer. 
because it kind of set this sort of chain of events, missing out on Otani, going and getting Giancarlo Stanton, on and on we go to where we are here in 2021. Otani is so damn special, it's not even funny. It's not even funny. Think about what this guy is doing. He's hit three home runs in two games. Otani has 28 home runs on the year. 28 home runs with an OPS of well over 1,000. And he's pitching to a sub-3 RA. And oh, by the way, he will be on the mound at Yankee Stadium later on tonight. And I have never seen Shohei Otani in person. Once I saw that he was pitching this week and we didn't have a podcast to do, was a no-brainer for me. I was like, I got to get to Yankee Stadium. Even though I'm going to the Subway Series, even though this team aggravates me to no end, I got to find my way to the stadium to see Shohei Otani. This guy is doing something in Major League Baseball that I have never seen before. That all of you, for that matter, have never seen before. Yeah, we've seen guys be decent hitting pitchers in the National League. Bumgarner, Glavin. Like, there have been guys that have been decent hitting pitchers. Shohei Otani is the MVP by a wide and a significant margin in the American League even if his team is 500. I mean, look at these numbers. I'm in awe. I just hope that I'm not drooling him as he's striking out 11 Yankees as I'm leaving the Bronx tomorrow night. I got enough on my plate right now. Subway Series is going to be stressful enough over the weekend. Speaking of the other team in town, what a win for the New York Mets. The Mets have had their way with the Atlanta Braves this year. They have played especially well down in Atlanta. And this was a game that had loss written all over it. They got shut out for six innings by Charlie Morton. They had no answers offensively for what Charlie Morton was throwing at them. But basically, the difference in the game is Dom Smith gets a single. Kevin Pillar, a couple of questionable calls, finds a way to work a walk. You don't apologize for that. And the reeling and slumping James McCann Hits a three-run bomb. That changed the entire feel and complexion of Mets Braves. Because with the Washington Nationals coming on the way that they've been coming on, Schwarber hits a home run basically every single day, destroyed the Mets on Monday. The Nationals have been awesome after mid-May. They have one of the best records in all the National League. They've gotten themselves back into a position where, forget about trading guys. The Nationals might be in a position where they're adding onto their roster. And who knows? They might be the Mets' threat, maybe in this division. Because I'll tell you this, the more and more I watch the Braves, the more and more I think the Braves are doing diddly squat this year. I could not have been more wrong on the Braves. They had a team that was capable of winning a World Series last year, and they didn't add to it. They got cheap. Yeah, they brought in Charlie Morton, but they did nothing in their bullpen. They did nothing to lengthen out their lineup, and it shows. They bring in Minter into the game. The guy stinks. He is awful. I feel like anytime the Mets go up against Minter, they, they pound the guy. And good for Francisco Lindor. Listen, I'm done with the overall narratives of this is going to get Lindor going or that is going to get Lindor going. I'm over that. Lindor's got to do it for an extended period of time. 
Once he's able to do that, then you'll know. But go ahead, hit. Giving the Mets the lead. Pivotal division game. Whole lot of positives. And then Lugo and Diaz come in and it lights out. Why are the Mets a first place team? We had a caller ask me on Sunday, JJ, how are the Mets in first place? It's a great question. They're a first place team because they pitch, they pitch, they pitch some more, and they've gotten a couple of big hits along the way. Their offensive numbers stink, but why are the Mets a first place team? They know how to pitch. And unlike last year, they know how to win the close games. That's how they're in first place in this division. We got a loaded show. It was a bad night for the NBA. We'll get to that with Giannis. I can't believe there are actually Nick fans weighing the options of a potential Damian Lillard trade. It's like one of the dumbest narratives I've ever heard in my life. We'll get to that. But we're going to welcome in a guy I know very well. He went to Syracuse with me. He's a good buddy of mine. He's been doing the Mets now for a long, long time, hanging out with Gary, Keith, and Ron. And he might have some interesting things to say, not just about the Metropolitans, but maybe about a uh, new movie that's coming out within the next couple of months that he and I have a significant passion for. Let's just put it that way. Steve Gelbs, that's the why he's up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So I figured on the day where the trailer of Newark gets released, it would be the perfect time to welcome in my long-lost pal, my Syracuse compadre, and now one of the esteemed members of Mets Media. You now are at a point, Steve Gelbs, where you are an esteemed member of Met Media. How does that sound? What's happening, brother? You know, it sounds great. And I, I listen, I recognize that. That's why when you said to me at the last minute last night, hey, can we push this thing really early because I want to go golfing today? I said, no, JJ, I'm getting my sleep. I'm an esteemed member of the Mets media. Look at you and pulling the power you know trip I mean? already. A few years back, I would have done it anytime, any place, but now I set the schedule. Wang, Gelbs did me a huge solid today because when I went out to get coffee, I think I sweat out about 50 pounds to begin with. And Gelbs, the only silver lining, brother, in that walk to Starbucks and back, and we'll get to the Mets in a minute. Dude, the trailer for Newark, and you're a big Sopranos guy. I'm a big Sopranos guy. It's my favorite show of all time. I had crazy high expectations for this prequel, this movie to begin with. Dude, I see Ray Liotta at the end of it. Let's go, baby. Let's I mean, go. Ray, Ray Liotta, the, the Sopranos theme music popping in the last five seconds or so. I, I mean, it looks absolutely ridiculous. I didn't know quite what to expect. I knew it would be awesome, but I couldn't really picture it. And then watching that trailer, I mean, I can't wait until October 1st. And... 
I'm a little upset right now because I knew this was via Zoom. As soon as I saw that trailer, I said, I got to get my Satriali shirt to wear it on this podcast. And it's in the laundry. I wear that shirt too much anyway. It's in the laundry. So I had to go with something generic today. That's that's the only disappointment. But my God, that thing looks incredible. Dude, I can't wait. Um, On this note, I've never asked you this question before we get to all the Mets stuff. Would you say you were a bigger Springsteen fan? Or a bigger Sopranos fan? I know it's impossible to pick between the two. I, yeah, but like, if impo- you had to say you're a bigger diehard of one or the other, what would it be? I'd probably go Sopranos at this point. If you would have asked me, you know, if you would have asked me five years ago when when he was on tour, I mean, I, I guess how long ago was that tour at the Met? It might have been longer than that. The tour where he was uh, he was playing at the Meadowlands and doing what? He did each of his albums in order. That, that was probably longer than five years ago at this point. But when I was I was seeing like seven Springsteen shows in a row, might have been a little difficult for me to choose. But at this point, I mean, I'm I'm probably on like viewing number thirteen or fourteen of The Sopranos. I'm listening to viewing to thirteen oh, or yeah. fourteen. Oh yeah! I, wow! Listen, and I thought I watched it three times, and I was a crazy oh, no, person. No, no, no! I'm I'm way beyond. You know what happens is I I watch it once through. I say, all right, that's it. I'm going to put it away for for a little while, and then I watch another series, and I say. This isn't as good. And I end up going back. I end up falling back. I say, I'm going to watch one episode and then I'm in. Then I'm hooked. That's that's my show. Pine Barron's your favorite? I think it's a little too no. cliche at this point. I'm glad cliche. that you said that. It's no. Listen, I don't want to disparage on the episode. It's great. It's iconic. I read the piece they did a couple of months ago. It's fabulous. It's not my favorite episode, though, Gelbs. I got to be fa- honest. It's not. My favorite episode is Whitecaps. Ooh, I like that. What? Because I like that. The, the acting from Edie Falco and, uh, and Jim Gandolfini, when they're getting into those fights, I have never seen any acting that can touch it. Those two scenes, when they're in the, in the, you know, the house outside the pool house, and then when they're inside right after uh, she gets that phone call, I don't think it could ever be topped. That's my favorite one, Whitecaps. We go from the Sopranos now to the first place New York Mets. And, you know, Gelsey, I... Wonder this now, every single day I watch this team, with the amount of injuries they have had, with the lack of performance that they've had up and down throughout the lineup. You know, I heard this on Sunday. Their offensive numbers and statistics, they're worse than the Yankees. They're comparable with the Pittsburgh Pirates, for goodness sakes. And yet, they're a first-place team. Are you stunned three months into this year with everything that has gone wrong for this team? They're still in first place? Yes. Yes, I am. I I don't know how you you can realistically say that you wouldn't be. I think going into the year, I thought this was the best team in the NL East. But given all the hurdles that they've had to overcome, I can't believe that they're sitting where they're sitting right now. And that's why, you know, I I view this Mets season right now almost as kind of a, a, you know, a litmus test for how you view things as a human. Right. There are plenty of people that are going to look at everything that's going wrong right now and the offense has been really, really bad. I mean, it's statistically, depending on how you look at it, the worst offense in Major League Baseball. But at the same time, if you can't see that that means that there's only, you know, the potential for this team to get better and better and better, I I don't know how to help you. I mean, I think this pitching staff has certainly, across the board, far exceeded expectations. That includes Jacob DeGrom. You know, Jacob DeGrom, everybody knew, was the best pitcher in baseball going into this season. But to say that he hasn't exceeded what anybody could have expected of him is crazy. I mean, he is having the best season in the history of the game. Stroman's been fantastic. Taiwan Walker's been a revelation. And that bullpen 
has been much better than I think anybody anticipated. So, you know, you look at that pitching staff and you say that pitching staff is going to give them, for the most part, an opportunity to win every night as long as they stay relatively healthy. Um, and, and then, you know, the defense has been much better than anybody could have anticipated. The, the backups to the backups have filled in admirably. So, yeah, they're not perfect. There's, there's plenty of work that has to be done. But if I'm a Mets fan right now and I, I wake up and it's the end of June and the Mets are in first place, but you would have told me everything they had to deal with, um, I don't see how you could be anything other than over the moon thrilled with what this team has done. You started covering the team full-time basis 2015. And you know at that time, Gelbzy, it was Harvey Mania, uh, Noah Syndergaard is the superhero, Max is the Long Island kid. And I'll never forget going to Jacob DeGrom's first start. A Yankee, uh, going up against the Yankees. I, I think he was going up against Chase Whitley. Lost a really tough game. But I watched him that night and I was like, holy shit, who is this kid? He's a stud. I'm adding him in fantasy. but. You're around the team day in and day out. When did it become like clear to you that Jake was not just going to be one of the four, but that Jake was going to be, dare I say, the man? When Was there a moment where it like definitely yeah. stood out? So there were two, actually, uh, because I think what's happened with DeGrom is you had this one point in time where you said, oh, this guy, you know, this guy may be the guy that that has the guts, right, that you can count on no matter what happens throughout the remainder of his career. And then there was the period of time where he said, oh, this guy might be not just the best of the bunch, but one of the greatest of all time, right? So the first moment that I point to is game five in 2015. Against the Dodgers. Against the oh, Dodgers, yeah. yeah. Because he had nothing that night. And, and it looked early on, it looked like he may get pulled in the second inning. And he just find, found a way to gut through. And even though I think he struck out 13 in game one, he was dominant in game one. But game five, I thought was a much more impressive performance. And I remember talking with people at the time saying, you know, what that shows me is that when he begins to lose it at some point later in his career, when he's not throwing, you know, at that point it was a, a 94, 95, 96 mile an hour fastball. But when that velocity is not there, when the stuff starts to go away, he's going to find a way to evolve and, and give you what you need to be a, a good major league pitcher. And we did not know if that was going to be the case with a Harvey. We've seen that's not the case right now. Um, we didn't know if that would be the case with Syndergaard. You know, we didn't know if that would be the case with Mats. We knew in that moment, Jacob deGrom was going to find a way. He was going to gut through and he was going to find a way. The second moment, though, it wasn't so much a moment, but it was that 2018 season. Now, that 2018 season, you started to see, at that point in time, someone that just he was so intent on being one of the best to ever do it. And he was so intent on making sure that he didn't even have one bad start. That's what he used to talk about in 2018 when he was going on that incredible tear. He was saying, well, I look back at last season and there were two or three starts where I just didn't have it and I let it snowball on me. And at the end of the year, if I could eliminate those, I would have had an all-time great season. So that's, that's his mindset. And I remember thinking, having these conversations with him saying, all right, you know, this guy, he's not going to settle for being very good. He's going to keep pushing it until he can be the best that there, there you know, ever was. I mean, that's, that's kind of his goal. He's talked even this offseason about wanting to be an inner circle Hall of Famer, not just a Hall of Famer, an inner circle Hall of Famer. So those are the two moments for me. But even, even after, you know, watching him in 2018, 2019, 2020, where he wasn't quite as consistent, but still, you know, one of the best in the game, 
I, I, I don't know how, but he's taken it to an entirely new level this year. Stevie, the only guy I can compare the Grom to over the last few years is Pedro at the peak of his greatness in 99-2000. Like, that was when you had all the guys all roided up. He's pitching. He's 5'8". He's 150-something pounds. And he's making these guys look stupid. The fact that the Grom is getting better, that's the amazing thing for me. Like, 2018, he was amazing. He won the Cy Young. He had this incredible second half. You watch him the first, I don't know, 12, 13 starts of this year. Dude, he's throwing 101, 102 miles an hour. And for a guy to be as dominant as he is, but to say to himself, eh, I could get better. I can improve upon this. I can improve upon that. That's kind of scary. It's incredibly scary. I mean, it's, you know, if you're around him, you understand he's almost like a, like a machine at this point. I know that the results look somewhat non-human, but it's because of the way he goes about things. I mean, if you watch him, before every start, he starts, he, he goes it into the outfield and looks up at the clock. And I think it's exactly at 645 for a, you know, a 710 start. I think it's exactly at 645. But the second that that clock takes from 644 to 645, that's where he starts his routine. Everything is, is perfected and planned out exactly. He throws the exact same number of pitches to the exact same part of the plate in the bullpen. He's always working in his bullpen sessions on that glove side down and away. And that's where you see almost all of his strikeouts come now, right? He's, he's just dotting that corner with fastballs and then sliders playing off of it. Uh, you know, he, he's unbelievable in his discipline. And, and then what he's done is he's been able to perfect his mechanics to the point where he is getting every ounce of juice out of that body. You know, I mean, every single ounce to be sitting 100 to 102, it's wild. And I was talking to Seth Lugo the other day you know, he was talking about how with this sticky stuff, uh, you know, guys have been saying, well, I, I, I need that grip because I can't throw max velocity and control it unless I have a little grip on the baseball. And Seth's point was, you're not supposed to have control of max velocity. That's what pitching is. You're supposed to pull back a little bit, throw as hard as you can while controlling the baseball. He said the only pitcher in Major League Baseball today that can throw at max velocity and control it with pinpoint accuracy is Jacob DeGrom. So that's the crazy part, is he's got the best fastball, the best changeup, the best slider, the best curveball, which he doesn't even use, and he can control it. Pinpoint control, hitters have no chance. Give me the guy in the second half, offensively speaking, you think really needs to get going for this team to kind of live up to their offensive potential? Because, Gels, listen, yeah. there are a lot of guys to point to but if there's one guy you'd say, wow, he's got to be better in the second half if this team is going to be, you know, which I think they're making the playoffs, but if they're going to beat the Dodgers, if they're going to beat the Padres, and they're going to do it in October, yeah, they need the Grom and all the pitchers to be great, but they're going to need somebody in this lineup or two to step up in a big way. You got a guy for me? It's got to be Lindor. You know, how can it not be? I mean, I think you could pick any number of guys because really there's not a person that is living up to the expectations offensively that the Mets had for them this season, right? But, you know, Francisco Lindor was supposed to be that engine and, and he just has not been able to get on track. And you know, I think that the strange thing about Lindor's season is that you've kind of been expecting that at one point something would happen, something would click, and he'd go on some sort of a tear. Dude, and the two-home run game and the doubleheader. I thought well, after that, that right. game, it's the two home runs. I was like, here it comes. He's going to hit like 370 for a month, ton of home runs, get going. 
Then he has a couple bad games. Then he has another good game. Then it's a few more bad games. I keep waiting, Gelbs. Keep that, waiting. Well, that's what it is. I think we all do. You know, that's what it is, is that he's had those moments. It hasn't been, you know, a consistent slump. It's been these starts and stops for the last month or so that have been somewhat surprising, especially given what Lindor was saying throughout the beginning of the season when he was really slumping badly. He said, you know, sometimes it just takes one swing for me and I'm, and I'm there and I'm going to go on a run. And that's that. And we've had, you mentioned that two home run game. I would say that I probably witnessed maybe three or four games where I've thought, or even stretches, maybe, you know, two game stretches, three game stretches where I thought, all right, this is, he's back. He's going to go on that tear right now. And it just hasn't happened. So the Mets need him to, to step up in the second half offensively. But again, you can point to, I mean, Conforto is, is critical. Dom is critical. Pete's critical. None of them have really been doing what we expected of them. And I, I will add one other caveat, though. And, and this is by no means making an excuse for the Mets offense because, uh, you know, even if you look at, at what's going on across the league, this is one of the statistically worst offense in Major League Baseball. But I do think that at some point, you know, we're three months into the season now, we need to start recalibrating what a good offensive season is going to look like because this isn't just Francisco Lindor. This isn't just the Mets. Offense is way down across Major League Baseball. Superstars who have had great, consistent seasons, a lot of them are struggling to find their footing. And so it is the year of the pitcher 2.0. We don't know if, if the lack of sticky stuff is going to change things in the second half, but assuming that the pitching stays the way that it's been, I think you need to recalibrate what a really good season is going to look like. You know, you're not going to see a lot of 300 batting averages. You're not going to see that. Um, you're going to have to grade it a little bit on a curve. Trade deadline's about a month away. There's one particular need you'd like to see the Mets go address. What would it be? Starting pitching. Still have to do it. You know, th those top three are incredible. But if they lose one more of them, you know, if, if one of those guys goes down, and let's be honest, DeGrom's been incredible, but – He's had, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of issues that he's had to fight through. Stroman's had some issues to fight through. Um, you know, Taiwan Walker's had issues to fight through. So you need to get more starting pitching depth, especially now that Lucchese's out. You know, David Peterson's been really good the last three starts, but I don't know if you can 100% count on him just yet. He needs to keep doing that more. And yeah, Carrasco and Syndergaard are waiting in the wings, and the expectation is that at some point before the end of the season, both of those guys will be back, but let's be frank. The expectation was that at this point, both of them would be back already. And so I think given the fact that both have had various setbacks, you can't count on either one of them to be giving you anything down the stretch. It's a luxury if they come back, but you can't count on it. And given the fact that this Mets team could be positioned to make a run, you need to reinforce that starting pitching depth. You know, I was thinking about this the other day when I watched you in the booth. Is it crazy you've been doing this now with the Mets as long as you've been doing it? Like I said at the start, bro, you're a, you're a chisel vet these days, man. I mean, what, since 2015? I got it right. 2015 yeah, was your you first so, year they went to the World Series. Yeah, 2015 was my first full-time season, and because of me, they went to the World Series. You're right there about you go. that. I'm giving you all the credit. Forget about <laughs> yeah. the Grom. Forget about uh, Cespedes. Right, no, it was I'm, all about Grom. Right, it was... It was all about Gelbs. That's right. But I did start in 2014. I did 55 games when KB was was doing stuff at Fox. He was doing stuff at Fox and finishing out his SNY contract. So, you know, I've been around the team now for I think this is my eighth season, seventh full time. And when you ask if it's crazy, the craziest part to me when I think about it is that that is how long Kevin Burkhart did the job. You know, this just 
I mean, the guy that set the standard, not just for the Mets, but I think for this type of a role in sports, that was his, his, you know, that was his journey. It was eight years with the Mets. And I can't believe that I'm at that same point with them right now. It's that's what really blows my mind because it does feel like it really feels like just yesterday that I started on this job. Do you have a favorite moment all your years being on the Met gig, doing the games with Gary, Keith and Ron, or maybe it was a postseason. Maybe it was a particular just regular season game that you look back on and say, wow, that was that was the highlight. Is it your uh, your dancing? It might be your dancing. I don't know. Just saying. Just saying it might be. The, the dancing was great. Uh, it's got to be Flores. <laughs> it's got to be the Flores walk-off home run. I will tell you, you want to hear a story about this, though. So I was so new at that point. If you go back and, and watch that Wilmer Flores walk-off home run. Well, it's on SNY every other day. So right, I, mean, I was going to say, not so go to back find. and watch. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be, it might be find. on this afternoon. Yeah. But if you go back and watch, so Flores, you know, he hits the home run. He rounds the bases. He's mobbed by his teammates at home plate. And then, you know, he's getting all the, I mean, just hugs across the board from everybody. And I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm brand new, but I'm still relatively new to the role. And it was such a big moment that my thought when I'm on the field is, well, I can't let Flores go into the tunnel without doing this walk-off interview, not realizing that these guys, they're well aware, especially after a moment like that, that they have to wait on the field and do this walk-off interview with me. So I'm like, in this bright blue SNY polo that, you know, we've got better colors now, but back then it was like this, you know, really kind of ugly, bright blue. So it wasn't like the Gucci and the Armani that you normally yeah. rocking on the broadcast. No, exactly. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was year three. They made the switch for me. But, but so it's this, I mean, it's so noticeable. And I'm right there in the middle of this celebration where I should be nowhere close to this celebration, just trying to get Wilmer Flores to come over and do the interview. And legendary director Bill Webb, who, you know, obviously, um, you know, is no longer with us. He was the guy that he, the next day pulled me aside and he said something like, a hey, good job with the interview, kid. But don't you ever get in my shot again in a moment like that? And, you know, and it was and it was true. Like I, I it was an incredible moment, incredible interview to be a part of with Flores afterwards. And I'll remember that moment forever. But I also will remember that that feeling the next day of like, oh, I got to do a better job of this. Like that was a learning experience for a, a young reporter from the greatest ever do it in Bill Webb. Now you've been doing the Mets a long time. How fired up for you? Week one, Jets, uh, I think Carolina. I think it's yeah. the Sam Darnold game right out of the gate. Yeah, that's right. And you're doing post games. So this is going to be a nice juggling act for Steve Gelbs. I like this. Can't wait. I'm, I am beyond thrilled. I mean, you know, JJ, I, I bleed green. I mean, that was, For what I it's worth, up, I saw yeah. Gelbs when Chad Pennington and the Dolphins beat I, Brett Favre and the Jets. I, would, I was in the upper deck. I think I saw Gelbs at halftime yeah, well, grabbing we a pop. That's right. We were both in the upper deck. That was my seats, 320, row 22, seats five through eight. Um, I would, when Chad was on the Jets, I would have donated my rotator cup to that guy, 100%. But uh, I could not be more thrilled to, to you know, take on this role and, and do this. But yeah, you said it. it's going to be a juggling act. And September is going to be one thing, right? Uh, we know there are three conflicting dates, I think, with the Mets. But what I'm really curious and not necessarily in a great way about is what happens in October if the Mets make the playoffs, which I think they will, specifically because there's a week, I can't remember which day, but the Jets play in London. A London in game. October, yes, they do. Right? Yes, they do. That should and be so beneficial to you, though, if they're at well, home. Well, 
it depends on how you think about it because okay. I think the game kickoffs at eight uh, nine thirty. I think so. Pre-game would be at eight thirty in the morning. That means Sunday you're morning at five five thirty if you're lucky. Probably right. Probably even earlier because I moved out to the suburbs now, so I've got like an hour commute. So if the Mets play at what you know eight o'clock the night before on Saturday night, or if they play at whatever time it is, if I'm there late on Saturday night, I'm going to be. I might as well not sleep at all. Just go straight from City Field to. Uh, to, to the studios in downtown Manhattan. Well, it will be like the Syracuse days. And for what it's worth, Gelbs and I go way back. And Gelbs, you know, I'm still waiting for us to get a chance to have a, a redo with the great Eric Rothman of the great three-man show that we did that got me in a whole lot of hot water in the process. And now looking back on it, I see your career. I see our guy Rothman, who's a stud. Bro, I pick winners. What can I say? I'm A-OK with getting in trouble. <laughs> For the guys that I brought in. It's not like I brought in guys who sucked, you know? That's what makes you you, man. Like, I'm I'm too much of a rules follower. And you nah, were sitting there not, and you not said. My, not my way. Like, not that's not, that's not, not what you do. You're like, listen, Gelbs, Rothman, you come in. Don't worry. Right. I'll take care of it. And we did read probably like two and a half hours of radio. And it was, I mean, let's be honest. And it wasn't was, exactly was a, a meeting and prep. It was no, literally. No, we, showed up, mics, yeah, we showed up. We showed up. We go. just let it go. So, listen. When. When you've when you've run out the string here on New York, New York, you've got you know some downtime. Nobody's met. You know it's it's one of those 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 dark periods in New York. Feb- sports. We're talking February of 2022. That's there you what I'm go. Thinking. February 2022. You bring me on. You bring Rothman on. We talk some Rangers hockey. Right. Oh, you'll be giddy about that. You'll be very. There you giddy. go. We talk some Rangers. You hockey. know, I went to the Coliseum by the way for the first time ever for Game Six. Pretty special place, It was it was wild. It was a dump, but it was wild. I felt like I was Gelbs, I felt like I was at a college game. That's really the yeah. best way to describe it, dude. It was surreal. I mean, listen, I am I am no Islanders fan, but I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate a good atmosphere. Before I, I started before I started working at SMY, I was doing some stuff for MSG. And I remember going to a, a Rangers Islanders game at the barn where I was doing pre and post for for radio. And even then, for a regular season game, you're looking around. You're saying this this place some special. So listen, I'm I'm thrilled that they didn't win Game Seven, but I do feel bad for all the Islanders fans at that Coliseum. But they gave it. Hey, they gave it a great run to say goodbye. An absolutely great run to say goodbye. No question. So you Rothman and me, yeah, February 2022, and we'll have a good review of Newark by then. We may have to have you on right after the movie comes out. By the way. Cisco Ebert style. We'll baby. watch it October 1st. We'll do a, a, a dual screen experience where we watch it and we discuss it in real time. Stella, bro, thanks for checking in. I love you. It's been too long. All the best. Continued success, okay? You're, you're the best, baby. Steve Delves, Newark, Mets. It was on the docket. New York, New York. We're back with more right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. It's always good hearing from our buddy Stevie Gelbs. And, you know, I can sense already there'll be a couple of wagers on the line when his beloved New York Jets are playing my beloved Miami Dolphins. I'll be... Uh, Putting the wheels in motions as far as that goes. Now, bad night in the NBA. Why do I say it was a bad night in the NBA? Because this NBA postseason, the number one storyline above anything else has been injuries. Injuries, injuries, injuries. From Anthony Davis to James Harden and Kyrie Irving, which you obviously know well if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. Joel Embiid and his issue as far as his meniscus, Kawhi Leonard, and now you could put Giannis onto that list. And I had all sorts of craziness going on in the apartment. We had the Yankee game going on. We had the Met game going on. So I had the basketball game on my third screen. And to be honest, I thought from an NBA standpoint, my narrative coming on the show tonight was going to be, what a disgrace by the Bucs. No Trey Young. That sort of effort in the first half is inexcusable. How do you not put this series away with a chance to go to the NBA Finals? That's what I thought our talking point in our narrative was going to be. Narratives go out the window when Giannis comes down awkwardly on his knee. It looked awful watching it live. Watching it live, you know, I'm thinking that's torn ACL. Now, nobody knows the answer to the severity of this injury. Nobody knows yet. We're going to find out tomorrow morning after you listen to this podcast, or maybe you find out the news and then you listen to the podcast, whatever the hell you're going to do. We ain't finding out at 11-11 here on Tuesday night. That I can tell you. It's all going to be about the MRI. I hope it's okay for Giannis. The league needs him. You want to have as good a finish to these NBA playoffs as humanly possible? You need Giannis out there. And I know Giannis has his faults. I know he's not a perfect superstar. I love the fact that he plays every night. I love the fact that he stayed in Milwaukee when there are so many guys star chasing, if you will. I love the fact that Giannis stayed. I really do. This might be his best chance to ever win an NBA title. He may get other opportunities. He may not. What I've learned in life, what I've learned in sports, when you get an opportunity to break down that door, you better do it. Maybe this is a little PTSD from yours truly about Dan Marino and thinking about his career and the amount of people that told Dan Marino after he lost to Joe Montana and after he lost to the San Francisco 49ers, don't worry, buddy. You'll be back. You're going to be in this game so many times. Ba, ba, ba. He never got back. Never. And I'm not saying Giannis is as good as Marino because, listen, he's not. The point being is this. I want to see him in the NBA Finals this year. I hope everything checks out A-OK with the hyperextended knee. I hope he can play. But it's a bad storyline and subplot for the NBA playoffs to have another injury. And this is coming off the heels of finding out about Trey Young a couple hours before game time. Talk about a bummer. You first find out no Trey Young, and then you watch that injury to Giannis. Bad night for the NBA. It's nobody's fault. Shit happens. But a bad night nonetheless. Now... This has been brought to my attention a lot over the last couple of days. And I've kind of like 
shrugged it off and I've kind of laughed about the idea of Damian Lillard coming to the New York Knicks from this standpoint. I see it on social media. I hear it when I'm out at the golf course or I'm out on the street. JJ, what would you give up for Dame? And I laugh. And I apologize if I've done that in your face and I've given you a little chuckle. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Whatever it freaking takes to get Damian Lillard with the New York Knickerbockers. I'm not concerned about the picks. I'm not concerned about R.J. Barrett, even though I like him. I'm not concerned about quickly topping. I do not care. Here's what I know. The NBA is a star-driven league, right? Star-driven. Look at the amount of champions over the last 30, 40, 50 years. I'm 33 years old. However long I've been on this earth, I know how it works in the NBA. You got to have stars to win. Dan Willard is a star. He is a top 8, 10 player in basketball. You get him, you figure everything else out after the fact. So it does not matter to me the cost. If there's an opportunity to get him, you get him. As simple as that. So you guys may call all summer. You may address me with proposals. Do you like it? Do you not like it? I'm telling you, whatever proposal you send me, if I'm the Knicks, it's yes. And I know some people are going to say, oh, what about what happened with Melo? You gave up too much to get Melo. Bah, bah, bah. They made the mistake of not amnestying Amari Stoudemire. Didn't work out. They took their shot. They failed. They maxed out that team as a second-round talent. And I know building a culture and a winning identity, it matters. It absolutely matters. Brooklyn, look at what they did before they signed Durant and Irvin. That gritty team with D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and Jared Allen. The only guy that's left standing is Joe Harris. Because they wisely realized, holy smokes, we can get the best player in the NBA when he's on the court and healthy and Kevin Durant, we got to do it. Kyrie Irving wants to come too. We got to get him as well. That's the way the league operates. So whatever it takes for Dame Lillard, whatever it takes. So I did not listen to the BS podcast, by the way, this Sunday. Bad job. Bill's going to be pissed off at me, but that's okay. He deserves it for all the shit talking he was doing about Yankees, Red Sox. I might have boycotted the podcast this weekend. Maybe it was subconscious. I don't know. But apparently he and our dude, Russillo, who, by the way, I need to, I need to meet Russillo. You know, I, I've never had an interaction with him. I like him. He seems like a dude's dude. He seems like somebody I'd get along with, which I like. They were talking some Lillard, I guess. So, Saruti, I didn't hear it. I want to hear it now on the podcast. Let's... Let's see where we're going to take this. I'm very curious. And then you have the New York Post story that goes up two and a half hours ago about how the Knicks are waiting patiently. Well, they're going to be waiting a while. What do they have to offer? I mean, people can make fun of Olshay all they want. What do the Knicks have? It's basically RJ and a million picks. It's a better offer than whatever Houston got for Harden. I think, I think, I agree with you. I think Portland can do better. You have a situation where Dame is going to want to go where he can win which is the old conundrum. I have to trade all this stuff for you. 
now I don't have enough left so you can win. That's the problem. Unless Dame absolutely needs to be in New York City, but every time everybody's rolled that storyline out, no one's gone there. You know, I'd have to know what's important to him. I have a hard time believing he'd want to go to the Knicks for everything that they'd have to give up. And I don't really know that there's enough there. You could probably do a lot better. And he's under contract. Um, but it's probably again, the if Sixers. I'm, if I'm running a New York newspaper, of course, I'm running that story tonight. I get Rosillo's point. I've been betrayed plenty of times with players coming here. And I would agree from a winning standpoint at this stage in the game, the Knicks would not be number one on my list. Like, if you're Damian Lillard and you have a chance to go play with Joel Embiid, I'd rather be in that situation. That's no knock on the Knicks. That's just real talk. But the way the league works, who's to say Damian Lillard's not scheming with somebody right now? Before you call me crazy, two summers ago, who had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George teaming up with the Los Angeles Clippers? You tell me. Who in the NBA stratosphere had that? The answer is nobody. No matter how well-connected you are, no matter who you knew, whatever, nobody had that. My hope would be, Dame Lillard, if he wants to be a Nick, is working the room and is going to be able to get somebody else to come and join forces. Who is that? I have no idea. And remember this. When a superstar wants out, and everybody knows they want out, you're not getting the same haul in return. Look at the Harden trade. RJ and a bunch of picks is a lot better than what Houston ended up getting. I mean, is anybody going to fight me on that? The Houston Harden return was a joke. It's not their fault. Harden basically forced their hand. I am not holding my breath about Damian Lillard coming to the next. I'd love it. I would do whatever it takes to get him. I'm kind of taking a cautiously optimistic type of approach where I'm expecting him to either go elsewhere or stay in Portland. And if he comes to the Knicks, I'll celebrate like a hyena. But right now, I'm kind of shedding lightly, at least for the time being. Okay. Tough night for the NBA. Hopefully, good news on the horizon for the Knicks. We need good news from, you know, a New York standpoint. Maybe I do with the way the Yankees have been playing over the last week. But voicemail time. If you're wondering how to get in touch with New York, New York. Very simple. 917-382-1151. That's where we make the magic. So, let's make some magic. Lead it off. Who do we got? Larry in Florida. JJ, the, the bats were booming tonight. But anybody outside, of, any starter outside of the name of Cole don't scare nobody. And who you like to win it all in the NBA? Talk to you later. Oh, how about that? That's the great Larry in Florida, one of my JJ After Dark regulars. And the only thing that was missing from that Larry in Florida call was one of his good old-fashioned trivia questions that he used to give me at like the wee hours of 3.30 or 4.20 in the morning. So I always love hearing from my dude Larry in Florida. He's right about the Yankee rotation outside of Cole. Montgomery and Herman. They've been slacking the last couple of starts, through. The Yankees need a pick-me-up in the return of Luis Severino. And you know what has been an underrated storyline that has really hurt this team? The loss and the absence of Corey Kluber, who's not expected back until late August to September. And that was my fear, quite frankly, when the Yankees made that signing, that Corey Kluber was going to find himself on a shelf. 
And sure enough, here we are. He's on a shelf. And as I said back in January, if I had a choice between the two, Tanaka or Kuber, it wasn't close. It was the idea of bringing back Masahiro Tanaka, which is something the Yankees should have done. As far as who I like to win the NBA title, this right, the Phoenix Suns. I think the Clippers going to give him a handful, but I think Phoenix is the team. If I had a place to wager down, what, on June the 30th on somebody to win the title, Phoenix get through this series against the Clippers, and I think they'd be favored against either team to come out of the East. Who's up next? JJ, James in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got a bone to pick with you from last week, man. You got on here, and you're my guy, don't get me wrong, but dude, don't be fooled by this team. You got on the podcast after we lucked out two out of three against the Royals. Really should have lost that series, but lucked out, we'll take it. You know, you had the closer going nuts on Boone. Boone clearly has lost the team. Chapman going nuts. I, I don't care if Boone walked the guy or, or changed his mind. Chapman's getting paid a lot of money to get out. Get out. But, J.J., back to you for a minute. You talk about how the Yankees are starting to hit. Don't be fooled by these fucks, man. This is not a good baseball team. This team doesn't give a damn. Giancarlo Stanton is the poster child for this. Who's making $30 million a year? Can't even put on a glove to go in right field. This team does not have it. Like what we had in 96, what we had in 98, 99, 2000. I can keep going on and on. There's no core four. There's no Jared Jeter. There's no Georgie walking through that door. There's no Pettit. There's no Paulie. None of that's going on, man. This team is screwed. They'll probably win a couple meaningless games, win a few series here and there to tempt the fan base. And then they'll fall on their face again in the series that matter against the teams with the pulse, like the Red Sox and the Rays. This team is not salvageable this year, and Cashman needs to be held accountable. James, I got to take the L for the weekend because you are right. I thought three straight series wins, law averages, Boston coming off a tough series against the Rays. I thought the Yankees would play well at Fenway Park this week. I thought they would play well. They couldn't have played worse. I am taking a very measured and a very leveled approach to the Yankees for the rest of this year. I know they're a flawed team. I know they have a ton of issues. They are nowhere close to the team that I think a lot of people thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. They got to show it. They got to prove it. They got to go and do it. Go rattle off 16 out of 21 wins. Go win 21 out of 28 games. That's how you could get me and many other Yankee fans to buy back in. Because you know what? You own something that's fair. At this stage in the game, watching them over the last two years, there is something missing about this group. And I don't like hearing they don't care because that's not true. They care. What bothers me, though, is when I hear the compete level was where it needs to be. That's... Something a Yankee fan is not going to want to hear when you got swept by the Red Sox and then lost the game to the Angels on Monday. So the players obviously care. The manager obviously cares. But like that language and that sort of optic, that's what will drive me insane. That's what's going to drive a guy like you insane. And that's not a good look. So they got a long way to go before they're going to earn your trust. And listen, their inability to win in the American League East has been a killer for them. They've been awful against Boston or 0-6. They have a losing record against Tampa. They're 500 against Toronto. And that's only because they swept them the last time they played. And they're barely over 500 against Baltimore. 
You want to explain why the Yankees are in the predicament that they're in? That's one of the main reasons why. Okay. I got to take the L for the Yankees series. I'll own that. I'll acknowledge that. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Nick and Rockwell Center here. Beyond frustrated watching the Yankees, longer than everybody else. So I've been going back and forth in my mind, trying to think of a small but big move that the Yankees could do because we know they're not stripping down on the screws and we know they're not selling. So what I keep going back to is maybe moving Luke Voigt. And I know he's a fan favorite. I know people love him, but he really is the same type of hitter as Stanton and Judge. And we know Judge and Stanton aren't going anywhere. And maybe you can move him for somebody who can bat from the other side of the plate, whether it be a Cattell Marte or a Brian Reynolds has been discussed. And I don't know, kind of shake up the offense a little bit because we know we, the Yankees can configure an infield without him. Granted, that would put Odor at second, who sucks, but I don't know, JJ. Uh, what do you think? Voice gone? You think he's the guy? Thanks. This is a point I was hammering home in the offseason. The Yankees had the perfect opportunity to move on from Luke Voigt. They had the perfect opportunity to do so. He was coming off a year where he led Major League Baseball in home runs. Shortened 60-game season. He's always hurt. And he's the same sort of hitter that you have profiling up and down the lineup. Kind of think they missed a boat on trading Voigt. I think they might explore the possibility but I think the Yankees are going to be far more interested in a left-handed hitting outfielder, preferably somebody who could play center field. They got to get themselves a starting pitcher too, though. Because King, Tyon, if Herman's still going to struggle, it's problematic. Now, the good news for them is their bullpen is getting reinforcements. Britain's coming back. O'Day is back. Wilson is back. That's a deep, really strong and loaded bullpen. You're going to need every single one of those guys. Because right now, outside of Cole, who's got his stinky stuff problem, Yankee pitching, which was so good the first eight weeks of the year, set a little bit of a rut. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Uh, Mike from Stanford. Um, I just wanted to ask you, um, remember, the, remember the Knicks signed that kid, Luca Vildoza, out of um out of Spain or he's Argentinian playing for Bosconia in Spain. Have you seen his highlights? If not, there's a couple like three minute videos of his most recent games. This dude is nice, man. He gets buckets. He shoots with confidence, man. I have high hopes for this kid. I really hope he comes in and uh makes an impact. I could see him playing on the second unit and just Thibodeau telling him Go in the game and put the damn ball in the hole, period. That's someone that we need. I love this kid, Luca Vildoza. Let me know if you've uh, watched the play. Thanks, man. I got to put you complete ignorance on this one. I do not spend time diving into YouTube tapes and international footage, video, what have you. He gets to camp. He plays a little bit in the preseason. Then I'll tell you what you're working with. Right now, though, for me to come on the air and tell you that I've seen a whole lot of YouTube Euro clips, I have not. I have not. Now, if this is somebody who's playing in the Olympics, maybe I will see him in a month or so. And I love the fact that you'll have some Olympic competition later on in the summer. And I'm not a huge fan of like the swimming or the track and field. Like that's, I got into the swimming with Phelps. 
I did. It was like the summer of 2008. A lot of summers down at Tuesday Night Beer Garden or Beer Goggles. I forget where we used to go on Staten Island, but it was great. It was a great time. My internship at SiriusXM with the great Adam Shine. I mean, that's where I had those formative years. And I tried running with the idea, trust me on this, when I was buzzing my head, that I had like the Michael Phelps look going. You know, I'd get that compliment from like a lady or two at the bar and I would really try to hammer it home. Back in my single days. I was like, yeah, Michael Phelps, good looking dude. Gold medalist. I look like that guy. I'm not his jack, but I look like that guy. I got a little of that. I never really saw it, quite frankly, but you know. When you're 21 years old, you'll run with just about anything. But I bring up the Olympics because, listen, the hoops are fun. The golf I'll be into. You're not going to have me sitting there going crazy over track and field, though. As a guy who runs, my track and field experience is my uh, 15-mile runs around Brooklyn, which had to take a hiatus. For anybody here in the New York area, it has been disgustingly hot. I couldn't even do it. I, like, walked out of my apartment today. I was like, no way. No way. That's why I need the Peloton for days like this. This is even worse than the cold. The cold, I'll get out there. I'll buck up. I'll suck it up. 20 degrees, 10 degrees, I was out there. Days like this, I mean, this is when I'm going to pull a Dylan Bundy, you know? Nobody wants that. When I'm coming back from a run in Brooklyn and I'm pulling Dylan Bundy all over the place. Nobody needs that. Last but not least, what do we got? Jage, John from Long Island. Look. The Yankees are making us all fucking miserable. I'm losing my voice. We're going to skip that topic today. I want to know what you think of the Many Saints of Newark trailer. Look, I'm as big of a Sopranos fan as anybody, but I'm not going to lie. Made me nervous. Looked a little too fan fiction-y to me. You know what I mean? So let me know what you think. Thanks. Bye. As you heard with Steve Gelbs just a few minutes ago, I got goosebumps and I was super giddy when I watched the Newark trailer. And I understand some of the complaints, Tony's mother and some of the flashbacks, then seeing uh, Vera Farmiga, who is the, uh, the girl in The Departed, the love interest, the shrink between uh, Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio. She's also the love interest in Up in the Air with George Clooney, which is one of my favorite underrated movies. Fabulous, fabulous movie. But she plays... Tony's mom, who, as we know, if you watch the show, is one of the most miserable human beings on planet Earth. She's going to be terrific. What fired me up the most, though, about the trail was two things. One, the fact that Gandolfini's kid, who did a great job in The Deuce, for those of you who watched The Deuce on HBO, he's playing the iconic role that his dad played. I mean, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, if that doesn't fire you up as a Sopranos fan, I don't know what will. The other thing I loved in the trailer, and this is maybe the uh, Goodfellas aficionado in me coming out, you see Ray Liotta at the end. Oh, my God. Ray Liotta! It's Henry Hill. Shoeless Joe Jackson. I love Ray Liotta. Big Ray Liotta fan. So the fact that he is going to be in this is a major win. And then, of course, last but not least, for anybody who watched the trailer, and I've watched it now about five times, the woke up this morning theme. I mean, come on. That's emotional. Absolutely emotional. So we'll see how it plays out 
when it comes out in October. But my initial reaction is, I am fucking in. Let's go. Saints in Newark, I'm not even calling it that. We're just calling it flat out Newark. I'm ready for Newark in October. Now, I'll tell you what else I'm ready for. Game six of the Western Conference Finals. And I was mowing over my pick. The Clippers have been a team that I've had a love-hate relationship with throughout this postseason. They've been good to me at times. They've betrayed me at times. They were good to me in game five. They were good to me in game two. They were not good to me in game four. I love the fact that this line has gone from Clippers minus one to Phoenix minus one. And you're basically getting split action from the ticket count. The fact that our friends at FanDuel have moved this line as much as they have leads me to believe that it'll be a close game like all of these games have been for the most part. A down-to-the-wire type of game. But I think the road ends for PG and Reggie, Mr. June, as they're calling him in Los Angeles. I think Chris Paul is going to be celebrating on his own court. I think Phoenix is going to the NBA Finals tomorrow. I'm riding with the Suns laying the point. Let's see if Jeff Money is riding with yours truly. I like when Jeff Money gives me a family play. We had that the other night. Do we have another? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. This is going to be for tomorrow, Wednesday, the 30th. I'm going to one play in the NBA. I'm going to go back with the Clippers plus the one over the Suns. I think they're going to stretch it to uh, a game seven. They played terrific, you know, in that last game. I think they're going to keep it rolling. So we're going to roll back with the Clippers plus the one. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money is going back to the well. I am not going back to the well. No family play tonight, good sir. Little heads up action. And I got you in our last heads up action. Forget what game it was. I think it was game two of Milwaukee and Atlanta. So maybe I have another win against Jeff Money. That's going to be our contest maybe throughout the football season. Little heads up competition between Jeff Money and myself. May have to throw a dinner or something on the line for that bad boy. Oh, there'll be a whole lot of competitions going on once the football season starts. That is a guarantee. And that is not a Patrick Ewing guarantee. That is a Joe Willie Namath guarantee. There'll be a lot of competitions and hopefully a lot of successful ones for yours truly. All right, we'll be back Thursday. Yankees play in the afternoon. DeGrom is on the mound at night. We'll get you ready for the Subway Series every which way. Hopefully, we'll have a good update, a positive update when it comes to Giannis, and we'll see how these NBA playoffs are shaking out. Jeff Nelson, the four-time World Series champion, is going to check in. He... Love pitching against the New York Mets. So I'm looking forward to having Nelly on the show. Voicemail, send them my way. We'll have a special 4th of July programming announcement that we're going to unveil Thursday night. So you want to be stay tuned for that. Fellas, fabulous job. I'm signing off. JJ out. Enjoy your Wednesday. Be good, everybody.